Well, good morning and welcome everybody. My name is David. I thought since we had the inauguration this past week, it'd be good to start by praying for our leaders as God calls us to. It says in 2 Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Father, as we've been praying these past four years for President Donald Trump and Vice President uh, Mike Pence, uh, we pray now for President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Father, would you bless them and protect them and their families? Father, would you strengthen their character? Would you soften their hearts? Would you open their ears? And Father, would you help them see and choose to trust you? Father, most of all, we pray that uh, under their leadership, uh, the gospel would, would be able to spread, that you would use your church to hold out the hope of Jesus Christ, and that many people would come to receive him as their Savior. Father, as we turn now to your word, I pray that you would give us each your spirit now as we look at what you have before us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, in this series, we've been asking the question, how can we live a life of power? In the midst of hard circumstances or trying times, which many of us are feeling in more intense ways than ever before, how can we live a life of, of great poise and equilibrium in the face of it all? The Hebrews writer tells us that to live a life of power is to live a life of faith. We're calling our series Onward as we consider how God, in the midst of hard times, doesn't just want us to survive, nor does he just want us to thrive, but rather wants us to partner with him, yes, even in the midst of hard times, in his life-changing eternal work. And so we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, looking at men and women of faith and their stories of how they followed the Lord during the midst of, of trying times. Today we come to the story of Abraham. And what can we say about Abraham? I mean, he's really the paragon of faith for three of the world's major world religions. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. You can't say that about any other individual, I don't, I don't think. But he's seen as the, as the patriarch and really the, the father and paradigm of faith for, for so many people. And I think what's important for us to consider before we get into our text is how his life was not all that easy. In fact, Abraham faced over and over again, crisis after crisis, and yet prevailed. And what I think what we can say about his life is that he wasn't mastered by his circumstances. If anything, he mastered his circumstances. But how? The Bible tells us all over the scriptures and I, and I think perhaps most succinctly here in Hebrews 11, that he was able to do so by faith. By faith, he and we too can live a life of power. And so we're going to consider his example today and how we too can live a life of faith like Abraham. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's, that's perfectly fine. The words will be on the screen for you. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. 
for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All right, I think from this text, we learn at least three things about faith. First, we learn that faith is more journey than adventure. Faith is more journey than adventure. I heard that J.R.R. Tolkien was once asked the difference between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and he essentially said The Hobbit is more adventure, whereas The Lord of the Rings is more journey. The Hobbit is a story of there and back again. In fact, that's its whole title, The Hobbit or There and Back Again. It follows Bilbo Baggins as he's whisked away, albeit a little bit reluctantly, to go on this great adventure with these dwarves and the the wizard Gandalf to retrieve the lost treasure. And along the way, he faces trial after trial trial and he overcomes. And you know what he also does all along the way? He's just constantly feeling, man, if I could just get back to my home there at Bag End, my little hole in the hill with my smoking pipe, then all things will be good. I'll be great. I just got to get back there and then life will be happy. And sure enough, at the end of his adventure, he gets back there and now he has a story to tell and 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 he's just as happy as a clam. He's back home in his comfortable life. He's, he's had his adventure. But the story of the Lord of the Rings is more a journey. It follows Frodo Baggins, nephew to Bilbo, as he's whisked away on a, on a, on a, on a journey himself. But what For- Frodo comes to realize, different from Bilbo, and without anyone having to tell him, is that Frodo isn't really, after a certain period of time, looking to get back to Bag End at all. Now, in some respects, he, is think- he does think along the way, man, it'd be great to be back there. Oh, I, I miss you know, the comfortable life. But... Really, along the way, Frodo just feels, you know what? Even if I could get back to Bag End and that comfortable life, that's not my greatest aim or hope here. Because what Frodo discovers is that he becomes a part of a story far greater than himself. He gets to play a small but vital role, really in the story of the battle of good versus evil. And towards the end of his journey, he's not thinking about Bag End at all, as to, except for to the, the point of, man, I just want to be able to fulfill my part in this. And really, if you were to ask the character of Frodo, you know, I, I imagine, it's pretty clear by the way Tolkien writes, writes him, that if you were to ask him, hey, would you want to go back to Bag End? He, he, he'd probably say, I, I'm not so sure. I just wanted to be a part of this great journey. Abraham lived a life of journey. His faith was journey more so than adventure. It says here in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. And Abraham would never get back to that place. And it was remarkable that he obeyed the Lord in this respect because he was giving up a lot. The scriptures tell us that Abraham had a good, prosperous life there where he was called out of. In that city of Ur, we're told, is where he was called out of. Uh, The eastern point of the uh, Fertile Crescent of Mesopotamia. Life was good for Abraham. He had friends and family. It was a, a knowable society and culture to him. And God said, hey, I want you to go, and he went. In fact, the old King James says, get out, and, and he left. He obeyed. It's, it's quite remarkable. But check out what happens when Abraham gets to this place God was calling him to. It says, by faith, verse 9, 
verse 9, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. When Abraham got there, he was living like a stranger. In fact, these English words made his home in the Greek actually means not that he took up permanent residence, but more literally that he made himself a resident alien. Abraham never owned land in the promised land except for a little plot of land he he bought towards the end of his life to bury his wife Sarah in. He lived his whole life as a stranger, as a resident alien. And as if to impress the point further, the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer goes on to say, verse 9, that Abraham lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. As did Abraham's son and grandson live in tents, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In fact, it wouldn't be for many generations that Abraham's descendants would ultimately live in the promised land as if it were their own. It's incredible. Abraham gave up all this wonderful life of comfort and prosperity and just and and followed God got to the promised land but but there he lived as a stranger and intense you know what you and I are probably tempted to feel towards Abraham especially given the culture we live in I imagine we're tempted to feel sorry for Abraham you had it so good and you gave all that up to go to go there I mean it's like you didn't even get to fully live it yourself sure your descendants got duped but he didn't get to live it like what a what a bummer of a deal but you know what the scriptures would say to you and me if we feel that way is don't you dare do that in fact, the Hebrews writer would, would, would say this to us too. Say, because the minute we start to feel sorry for Abraham in this way is the minute he would actually begin to, he would feel sorry for us. Because you see, Abraham was living for something far greater than that. You know, it, Abraham wasn't living for the adventure of life so that, you know, hey, I just provided I can get back to a good life or my version of bag end with my smoking pipe, whether that's back in Ur or in the promised land, then things will be good. Abraham was living for something so much greater than that. He understood that, that life and faith is a journey. In fact, it even goes on to say this in verse 10, for Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's saying Abraham was living for something so much better than just getting to the promised land here in this life, which he got to live in, which he got to enjoy, but pales in comparison to what his ultimate aim was, and that was getting the chance to follow God, live for him, and ultimately live into the next life would be far greater and better than he could hope or imagine. And I think it can portray our heart's desires when we think about where our minds go when life gets hard. Like, where do our minds go? Do, do we, what is our escapist dream, if you will? Like, what, what do we just go like, man, if I could just have that or be there or do that, then life will be okay. Because I think what we could easily do, if we're real about it, Christians can easily do in, 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 a, in our practical lives, is live a life as if faith is more an adventure. <laughs> versus a journey. Like if, if that could just work out, then, then things will be good. I, oh, I'll, I'll do this provided it'll work out that way. Uh, I, I think of it this way. I think many of us have an escapist dream that, that we'll just kind of go to. I've talked to many pastors over the years and a lot of pastors actually have escapist dreams of jo- a dream of jobs that they would do instead. Like, and they especially think about this on Mondays after the weekend. Like, oh man, if I could just do that, then it'd be, it'd be wonderful. Uh, my escapist dream of a job that I don't often think about, but every once in a while I think about, and don't judge me, is to be a pilot. I just think it'd be so fun to be up in the sky, especially like a fighter pilot. I know it's just never going to happen, but I, my favorite movie growing up was, was Top Gun. So I was just like, man, it'd be so cool to be a pilot. 
Uh, I had a, a pastor friend uh, tell me that he actually thought of uh, what he would do quite often. Every Monday, in fact, he's just like, man, I, if I could just do that, then things would be great. And I asked him one day, like, yeah, what, what is your escapes of, of a job, of a, of a dream? And he said, I would be a bread truck delivery guy. And I said, I said what? <laughs> you'd, 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 you'd want to do what? He said, I'd love to be a bread truck delivery guy. He's like, is that even a thing anymore? He said, no, it's no longer a thing, but I wish I could do that. It'd be awesome just to show up on people's doorstep and give them bread. <laughs> that was his job. I was talking to another buddy of mine more recently because I had this on my mind. And he said, that's funny. I don't really think of a, an escape of a, of a job. I think of more of escape of a place. I just would find myself on the beach of Waikiki and then, then I'd be good. And I'm like, okay, that's relatable. I'm sure many people have dreams of, man, if I could just get to a tropical beach, then life, life would be good. We all can very easily think, man, if life just worked out that way, then it'll be okay. You all know, do this faith thing, provided it just kind of works out this way or that way. If life could just find me married, then life will work out great. If, if I could just get that promotion, or get that job, then, then things will smoothen out. If I can just, you know, not live as a resident alien in Silicon Valley, if I could just own here, it, then things would start to work out better. But life is not so much, faith is not so much an adventure in that sense, but a journey. And you know what? It's not to say that those things are in and of themselves are bad or that God doesn't want to desire or that he won't even, that, that he's not going to give you such things. It's not to say those things. It's just to say if those are the things we're ultimately living for. That if just, man, if I could just get to that and I'll just press through faith-wise because we're missing out on something far, far greater. The journey of walking with God, being a part of his far greater story with a destination that's infinitely greater than we can hope or imagine right now or, or receive in this lifetime. God, faith is more a journey than an adventure. Second, we learn that faith doesn't have to be perfect for God to commend it or use it. Faith doesn't have to be perfect for God to commend or use one of the things I love about the scriptures is the fact that it is chock full of countless examples of imperfect people. I mean, from the very beginning to the, the very end, we just have account after account of imperfect men and women following God or not following him. It's incredible. You have all sorts of anger issues in the scriptures. You have people who just lack empathy. You have tons of people who struggle with sin and temptation. The list just goes on and on. Often it's really embarrassing and it's really a breath of fresh air that the scriptures would have them. Why? Because that's you and me. Those are our issues. It's relatable because we're far from perfect. And you know, Abraham is no exception. He was deeply, deeply flawed. We just read in verse 8 that by faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went. But you know what the original account in Genesis also tells us? That after he obeyed and went, he also stopped and stayed in another place, not the promised land, for a good deal of time. Even though he knew it wasn't the place God was ultimately calling him to go. He left Ur on the eastern part of the Fertile Crescent. He went northwest to the northern part of the Fertile Crescent, the place called Haran, and he stayed there for a while, knowing full well that's not where God ultimately wanted him to go. Packed up, moved about 700 miles, took all his people, his livestock, and stopped there, even though he knew God was calling him to go further. It eventually took God coming back to him and saying, hey, keep going for Abraham to eventually go. But understand that his faith got him to a certain place. He stopped for a while. That's far from perfect, I would say. 
And then if you know his story, you know that when he got to the land of Canaan, it wasn't too long after that, that a great famine hit the land. And so he decided to go down to Egypt to kind of weather and get some food there. And when he was approaching Egypt, he understood that his wife, Sarah, was so attractive that probably the Egyptian royalty would want to snatch her up, take her away from him and, and probably do something bad to him, maybe even get him killed. So he told Sarah, hey, let's tell everybody that you're my sister. I don't want to get killed if they're going to try to take you. Like, I don't want anything bad happening to me. So let's just say you're my sister. And that's what happened. They came and they, they took Sarah. And, you know, God had to intervene such that Sarah was, was protected and everything kind of restored to, to being good. But I mean, that's far from perfect faith, from this patriarch of the faith. And then consider Sarah and her part that the Hebrews author tells us about in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. You know what's fascinating about Sarah's account? At one point, God came to reiterate his promise to Abraham that he would have descendants. He and Sarah would have descendants. And Sarah was within earshot, hidden behind a tent, while God was reiterating this promise to Abraham. And when he told Abraham this promise, that you'll have it says in this way through Sarah, Sarah straight up laughed at the promise. She laughed. <laughs> How's that faith, right? And yet we understand that while her faith was impartial at best at that point, lacking in entirely, at least at that point, she did come to a place where she did fully trust God, or at least imperfectly as it is, trusted that God was going to fulfill his promise as he had said he would to Abraham and to her. The point here is that they had imperfect faith. And you know, the reality is the Hebrews writer and the reader readers of the Hebrews writer originally would have known these stories even as they were being shared here. Which is to say that even though these imperfect accounts of faith were in their lives, here's what God remembered, commended, and used. Their imperfect faith. He saw, he commended, was glorified, and ultimately used to great ends. I mean, look at Hebrews eleven twelve, And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. From this one man and woman whose faith were far from perfect, God did an incredible, incredible thing. It's not about us having incredible faith. We can have even imperfect faith. And you know what the scriptures teach us over and over again? I mean, probably the most famous parable on this, Jesus said, all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. And God can do amazing, incredible things. Of course, a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds there are, and then it produces one of the biggest plants. It's like, oh, you just need a small, your faith just needs to be the size of a mustard seed. God can use it. One of my favorite stories is when a man brought his sick son to Jesus. Although Jesus wasn't there, he was up on the mountain. And so at the foot of the mountain were Jesus' disciples or students. So the man brought his son there thinking Jesus was there. But, but since he wasn't there, asked the disciples, hey, can you do something? They weren't able to do anything. Eventually, Jesus came back down from the mountaintop, saw a commotion, asked what was going on, and the father said, hey, if you're able to do something, will you do something? Help my boy. And Jesus said, if, if I'm able to do something, all things are possible for, for the one who, who believes in God. And then the man said these words, Lord, I do believe, 
help my unbelief. And what's incredible is those words, that faith was enough. That was enough for Jesus. Jesus then, based on that profession of imperfect faith, I do believe, help my unbelief, then healed the boy. What Jesus didn't say in that moment is, "Mm -mm, that's not going to do it for me. That's imperfect faith. That's flawed. That's impure. You need to muster up some more faith before I'm going to heal your son. Did not say that. He said, you know what? That's enough. That imperfect faith. God can use and commence imperfect faith. Because you know what the reality is? The reality is our faith is rarely, if ever, going to be perfect. And so what little imperfect faith we can offer is what God desires. And so friend, wherever you're facing right now, if you're waking up in the morning just like, I don't, I don't know if there's much I can bring to the table, join the company of Abraham and Sarah. We can't bring a whole lot to the table, but what we can bring, God commends if, we, if it's offered in faith, which brings us to the last thought that we learn here in faith. And that is a life of power is not found in our faith, but in God's faithfulness. You see, the power of their faith was not in their faith, Abraham and Sarah's faith, but rather the power was in the, in, in the one in whom they were placing their faith, the Lord, God, and his faithfulness. We see this here in verse 11. Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. That's to say, it's not so much what faith she brought to the table, but the one in whom she was placing her faith. I read uh, these, this verse, I think it was two weeks ago, that I think conveys this thought. It says in 2 Timothy 2, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And really, this is the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. God sent his son into the world as a true and greater Abraham. Abraham left a a life of comfort in in a known place and culture. But Jesus left heaven, his heavenly throne, all perfect comfort to come into a world that is broken and in desperate need of healing and made up his life here as a resident alien. He wasn't received as as the king he ought to have been received by, but but rather he was rejected. And in fact, given a criminal's execution. Why? To love us and bring us back into relationship. In other words, he was faithful to us even when we were faithless to himself. And so when we put our faith in him and receive the forgiveness of sins and his faithfulness for us, imparted to us, We can not only receive a life restored with God, which is eternity, which is being able to be a part of the city whose architect is is God, but we also get to be a part of the story that he is now writing, the work that he is doing, which means even in the face of hard times, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can begin to live that out and offer it to others and join with God in his life-changing eternal work. Because really, that's what we see here in verse 12. This verse that, as, as and so from one man, and he as good as Ed came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand of the seashore. While that might not be the exact promise to, to you and me that we would have that same kind of you know descendant line come out of us, we actually get to continue to carry on that promise to this day because the scriptures teach elsewhere that 
Abraham became the father of all people of faith. All people who would ultimately put their faith in Jesus. Those are his descendants. The people who would put their faith and trust in, in Jesus enter into God's family by faith in Jesus, which means the church, those of us who have put our faith in him, get to join in that eternal life-changing work of letting people know about the faithful, perfectly faithful, loving God that is available to them. And so, friend, this is what we get to lean into. Even this week, can you lean into this? It, it, to, to see life and faith as a journey, more so than, than an adventure, and to, and to, to, to recognize and, and live out the fact that faith doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, it's going to often be far from perfect, but God often uses imperfect faith and commends it. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's not so much the faith that we muster up and bring to the table, but it's, it's in whom that we are placing that faith, the perfectly faithful one who loves us and wants to work in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we are just floored at your goodness to us, your grace, that you came into this world as a true and greater Abraham, to live a life as an alien resident, stranger, essentially intense, poor, and ultimately were rejected. You, you lived the faithful life for us that we could receive you by faith, imperfect as it is, to receive life in you. And so, Father, I want to pray for those who are here today and have never received you today, that today would be the day for them. Maybe they don't have it all worked out. Maybe they recognize that their faith is far from perfect, but they recognize that you're there and that you love them and you sent your son to die for them. I pray that they would today, even right now, say, yes, I'm in. And friend, if that's you, you can even pray, Lord, I, I receive you. I, I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you. And if you've done that, let us know. We'd love to walk alongside you as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we pray for, for, for those of us who have received you and are walking with you. Father, would you help us recognize the, the beautiful, wonderful journey of faith you call us into. And Father, would you help us with the imperfect faith that we can muster up, uh, live a life that, that glorifies you and pushes forward your kingdom work in this world. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue this time of worship now through song.